0: Suspend your disbelief.
1: Let yourself be led down a path into the world of the paranormal, where ghosts, shadow people, cryptids, aliens, and all things supernatural dominate. Immerse yourself in a dimension of ominous trepidation with your hosts, Dan, Danny, and Rachel. Welcome to the Phantom Faction Podcast.
0: Okay, welcome to this edition of Phantom Faction Podcast. I'm Danny. I'm
2: Dan. And I'm Rachel.
0: Well, it's a very warm night here in uh, Ontario, Canada. I've got a nice little
2: sunburn
1: going on my forehead here. I've been in the the garden all day doing, uh, putting out some mulch and firewood and getting my fire pit ready and all sorts of stuff. The joys of home ownership and having a big lot, but it's all good. And I should wear a hat though.
0: (laughs) Every every year I get baked right on the forehead, but it's all good. Yeah, we get get some new patio furniture, so... uh... Been enjoying that. yeah. What about you, Rachel? What's been going on?
2: Well, this weekend it was beautiful, so got to enjoy sitting out on the deck like uh, sounds like you guys were, but uh, I have a nice gazebo, so I was covered.
0: Yeah, now we've got uh, mosquito season, so. Yes. Yes.
2: I have a net, thank goodness, so that helps some.
1: <laughs> oh, just rubbing it in all over the mm, place, aren't you?
2: Just a little. Oh, well.
1: Anyhow, let's get to... Uh, podcast (laughs) we have a very uh, actually i I guess that i'm very excited to, to speak to we have a miss callie cheryl all the way from estes park colorado and she is the resident paranormal investigator at the stanley hotel and for those who are listening and say hey where have i heard that name before Uh, The show has been featured on Ghost Adventures, Ghost Hunters Academy, all sorts of uh, news reports and the like. Uh, And Miss Callie has been on all those shows as well, as, as well as Coast to Coast Radio. And we welcome her to the podcast.
3: Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you.
1: Callie, uh, you are the resident paranormal investigator at the Stanley Hotel, and before we get into the history of, of the hotel and and uh, what it's really known for, uh, where did it all start for you with with the the interest in the paranormal?
3: Um, well, the first thing that I want to make clear is that I was the resident paranormal investigator. I'm not at the hotel anymore. Oh, okay. Uh, I've been there for, for quite some time, and I did all of those exciting things that you talked about, um, you know, appearing on the the different TV shows and all of that stuff. So um, where did it all get started for me? Um, When I was a little girl living in a house, I actually had what I thought then was an imaginary friend. Um, Now that I've kind of gotten interested in the paranormal, I look back on those experiences and I wonder if it really was my imagination or if there was somebody that I was communicating with. Um, when I was a teenager, we moved to another house and in that house, that's when I began to having um, actual paranormal experiences. That's where I saw my first full-body apparition. Um, lots of things happened in that house. And in fact, uh, my brother, when we grew up, my brother ended up buying the house from my mom and his daughters then began having experiences in that same house. And um, so I've just always been interested in the paranormal, wondering kind of what happened to me and trying to find some answers is where I got started with it all. Um, but now I'm kind of on a, a search for questions um, because it really is about this question leading to the next question and that question leading to a bigger question. And so that's where my fascination lies.
1: Can you, can you give us a Some examples of the paranormal activity that you experienced as a teenager?
3: Um, Yeah, well, the big one was um, I woke up in the middle of the night, I needed to go to the bathroom, I was walking across my bedroom floor, and all of a sudden, there was a man standing in front of me. Now, you know that feeling when you're maybe walking across a, a busy airport or a train station, and... All of a sudden, you come face to face with somebody and you kind of throw your hands up and you, you both are surprised that you almost bumped into each other. That's what it felt like. We both surprised each other. And I wonder now, looking back, if really we kind of crossed time periods or dimensions um, that basically I was his ghost and he was my ghost. We also would have... Um, there was one particular night where I had been out, I would work late and when I came home from work, um, all I was planning to do was run in, grab some leftover pizza, and then I was going to my friend's house to spend the night. Well, the next morning when I got home from my friend's house, my mom was upset because she said she heard me come in, grab the leftover pizza, but then I proceeded to have a party. Well, I didn't stay at the house that night, so there was no party, um, A few minutes later, my brother walked in from work, and he also was upset because he had heard the party going on. Now, I lived in the type of a family where we wouldn't walk out to the living room and get mad at whoever was out there. We would stew about it and then be mad at each other the next day. So it was just interesting. Um, All kinds of footsteps, lights going on and off, the TV changing channel on a regular basis. Um, My nieces, as I said, Started to have experiences. They saw uh, my youngest niece when she was about three. Said that she saw a man standing in the corner of the the family room. I couldn't see it, but she could clearly see it and described it perfectly. So,
1: I wonder if it was the same man that you almost collided with in the hallway when you were
3: little. I wonder. I, I do wonder that.
1: And your and your brother ended up buying this home even though he knew about all the paranormal activity. I guess he was quite comfortable with it and has no problem raising yeah. raising a family in this home.
3: Exactly and, and you know we didn't talk about any of this stuff in front of the, the girls because they were pretty young by the time he ended up selling the house a few years ago and so they were still pretty young when they lived there and we didn't want to scare them or make it you know bad but one day after they had moved out we were driving past the house, and I said, oh, look, Maggie. She's my oldest niece. I said, look, Maggie, there's your old house. And she said, Auntie, there were boos there. And that's what she called ghosts.
1: The booze. There were
3: boos there. So it was interesting that she was aware of what was happening as well.
1: well that's very cool. You know, usually it's, it's the other way around, that you want to get the hell out of that that haunted house and not not buy it and then start a family up in it. Right. So that's a, that, well. Your your brother's got a good attitude, I guess, and a good mindset towards the paranormal. So, the Overlook Hotel. or sorry. I sh- I, I keep calling it the Overlook, but it's the Stanley Hotel. Uh, and we all know, you know, if you're if anyone has any interest in the paranormal or horror movies, you know what the Over- Overlook Hotel is from the, the movie The Shining, and the, well, actually, the, the Stephen King novel. Stephen King. In 1974, uh, he and his wife stopped for the night at the old hotel, and he was given room 217, the presidential suite, and had a apparently he had a, a wicked a nightmare about a fire hose, a predatory fire hose, uh, trying to <laughs> trying to attack one of a, you know, his young son down the hallway, and uh, I guess uh, you know the way Stephen King's mind works. Uh, but by the time he was done staying there, he'd he worked out this book called The Shining, uh, which was his third novel, I believe, and his first bestseller. And I guess the Stanley Hotel from then on became a, a popular location for uh, people who were interested in the paranormal. You became involved as well.
3: Um, there have been a, a few deaths at the hotel, um, probably the most recent one being in 2010. Um, January of 2010, um, but nothing that's really um, public or, <laughs> you know, has been reported. So, but yeah, there there have been deaths that that have occurred at the hotel.
1: But would there be something horrific that would cause all these these hauntings, or do you think it's connected to the land?
3: Um, I don't think there's anything horrific causing the hauntings because. In my opinion, the hauntings are not horrific. They are um, warm and welcoming. They, for the most part, seem to want to be there. Um, They seem to enjoy the company of the people who visit the hotel. And um, so I don't think it was, you know, that the, the hauntings that are taking place are being caused by any kind of a horrific act, if that makes sense.
1: Are there certain locations inside the hotel that are more active than others though?
3: Yeah, absolutely. There is, um, the fourth floor of the main hotel is what we would consider to be the most active part of the hotel. Um, the fourth floor when the hotel first opened was the attic area where the kids would stay with their nannies. Um, so we get a lot of childlike activity up there. Um, hearing balls rolling down the hallway. Uh, one particular night I was staying there and I heard what sounded like the squeak, squeaky wheels of a tricycle and you just try staying in the Stanley Hotel known for the shining and hear a tricycle coming down the hallway and don't get freaked out, right? <laughs> yep. um, but lots of lots of childlike stuff on the fourth floor. And then the, um, the concert hall, which is a separate building um, down from the main hotel, that one is
0: extremely as well, uh, extremely um, active as well. So, for people that that are not familiar with this this hotel, it's it's in Colorado. Uh, just give me sort of an idea of how you would paint a picture of this uh, this hotel.
3: Okay. Um, well, it like you said, it's four stories. It is um, Georgian Revival architecture. So it would have the big columns out in front of the porch and then kind of the clabbered siding um, that's that's painted white and then a beautiful red roof on top of it. Um, I don't know if any of your listeners would be familiar with Mount Washington, which is um, in the northeastern part of the United States. And it's like a mini version of Mount Washington. Um, And there are Where at least there were there's more buildings now, but there were four main buildings on the property when it was first built and that was the main hotel. The manor house where the unwed men would stay because they weren't allowed to stay in the main hotel with unmarried women Um, and then next to that you would have the concert hall Um, that was built to Mrs Stanley's specifications and it mimicked the acoustics of the Boston Symphony Hall. Um, And then next to that was the carriage house, and that's where they kept carriages. But when you think of a carriage, you think of something that's horse-drawn, right? Mm -hmm. But instead, these carriages were the Stanley Steamers, because the Stanleys who built the Stanley Hotel were responsible for building the Stanley Steamer automobile. So those were all stored in the carriage house.
0: So the Stanleys were definitely a well-to-do family.
3: Absolutely. And you know, they they didn't get rich actually from the Stanley steamer that that came after they got rich. They got rich because um, Mr. Stanley and his brother actually invented the stuff that you paint onto a glass, um, the glass photograph. I can't think of what the word is right now. But when you took old timey photographs, you know how you would slide the the glass in there. And then you would take the pictures, and people would have to sit there for a minute or two, while their picture developed without moving. Otherwise, there would be blur in the photo. Well, Mr. Stanley and his brother invented what you could paint onto this glass to stabilize the film, which meant that you could take a picture and 10 seconds later, it you could move. So Mm. they and they sold that um, technology to Kodak. So that's how they made their money, but then they, they invented the Stanley Steamer as fun.
0: It was really just a hobby. Wow, some incredible uh, history behind the, the building and the, the family itself. Is that something that you were always interested in is the, the history of, of the building itself?
3: Yeah, you know, that's why I like being involved in the paranormal. Um, I like the ghosts and I like the hauntings, but I like the history behind it. You know, I'm, I'm interested, in art and architecture. And so learning about the history and everything that came before makes me just that much more interested in the ghosts and the spirits.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what I like is, you know, find what I can the history of the building and the history uh, behind who lived there, who built it. And uh, yeah, I uh, like to do my research, that's for sure. I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, The Stanley family themselves, do you think that they are the ones that maybe um, I'm going to say haunt, but you know, haunt can be such an evil word? Absolutely. I believe
3: both Mr. and Mrs. Stanley are responsible for a lot of the activity that takes place in the hotel. Um, They didn't have any kids. um, So it was really just the two of them. Um, But they both absolutely loved that hotel. Mrs. Stanley, it was her pride and joy to bring all of her friends out from the East Coast and show them this new wonderful place where they were living. And don't let anybody tell you differently. She kind of wore the pants in the family. She (laughs) was the boss of what was happening at the Stanley. And I think to this day, she still is. Mm -hmm. Um, And in fact, on my very first day working at the hotel, I was in the tour office and I was sitting on a chair Waiting, you know, to be trained and do all of that stuff, and I felt someone walk up next to me, and I felt a hand just lightly brush down my cheek, and I believe that that was Mrs. Stanley welcoming me to the hotel and letting me know that I was um, I was approved to work there.
0: Oh, that, that's that's right. that's reassuring. That is absolutely. Yeah, now, Dan mentioned earlier about uh, the certain room that uh, Stephen King had stayed in. Was that known as one of the haunted rooms, or uh, was it after that that uh, everybody wanted to stay in that same room?
3: Yeah, and you know, that even took a while for for that to catch on. Um, When when Stephen King stayed there, the Stanley didn't really have much of a reputation of being haunted yet. Um, So when he stayed there, the room where he stayed was where people like Teddy Roosevelt would have stayed um, because it was, you know, the presidential suite. Now, after he stayed there and he wrote his book, nobody really knew much about the Stanley because he didn't talk much about, you know, what he based it on. Um, But later on, as time went on, Mm -hmm. it became well known And so that's when people started coming to the hotel. Those were more horror fans, people who were interested in the Stephen King aspect of it. The paranormal version of the Stanley Hotel really didn't take off until the ghost hunters came and stayed there and did their, they did an investigation in the spring of 2006 and then they did a live investigation in um, around Halloween in fact I believe it was Halloween night in 2006 that's when the paranormal reputation of the hotel really took off I mean people would tell stories you know and there's lots of ghost stories about the Stanley but it wasn't it wasn't a, a paranormal landmark where people put it on their bucket list to go visit if that makes sense until after the
0: ghost hunters stayed there Was this the hotel as well that uh, was used in the movie or not?
3: Uh, No. In The Shining, um, Stanley Kubrick visited the hotel. And, in fact, there is a letter in the hotel that he wrote and signed, which is kind of cool. And it's talking about why he refused to film at the Stanley Hotel. Stephen King learned a lot about that particular movie because he gave his rights. he wanted it to be filmed at the Stanley. He believed that the Stanley was the reason for the hauntings and he wanted his movie filmed there. Stanley Kubrick had all the rights and said, no, thank you. And he said it was too close to town, which it really is. There's a Safeway, a, a grocery store just right down the hill from it. Um, you look out and, and you can see the town of Estes Park. So Stanley Kubrick said, absolutely not. We're not filming here. Um, but then they came back in 1994, and they filmed a miniseries with Stephen King's help. And the miniseries was filmed completely at the Stanley Hotel.
0: Ah, yes, I saw the series. It was well done well
3: done. Yes, it, it was, and it, that was because Stephen King was behind it. You know, he <laughs> yeah. writes back, and it better, this time it better follow what he meant for it to, to follow, so.
1: I think okay. that the uh, the entire Shining movie was filmed in a on a soundstage in England, because Stanley Kubrick also mm-hmm. had a terrible fear of flying. Oh, okay. And so, so, when you see all the snow, and the exteriors, and even the ballrooms, that's all inside of a a, a massive uh, movie soundstage in i guess the, lo- is, i guess in london
3: the exterior scenes were were shot without stanley kubrick being present but they were shot in the u.s um in mount hood oregon that's where the hotel the overlook hotel is in mount hood oregon but people are so disappointed because they go visit that hotel and they walk inside expecting it to look like what it looked like in the movie but like you said the interior scenes were all shot um, in London on a soundstage.
1: Kelly, uh, of the very little um, research that I did on the Sailheep Hotel, uh, I, one of the pieces of information I got, that uh, vacuums get turned off by the spirits quite often is they don't like the noise. Is that true?
3: <laughs> we have had housekeepers who have reported that, yes.
1: And do you have a hard time or, well, I I know you're not there anymore, but did they have a hard time or do they still have a hard time keeping staff there because of the, the paranormal activity
3: at times? um, But you know, the housekeepers just sort of get used to it too. It's um, like I said, it's, it's very much a benevolent presence, whatever is happening there. It's not, while it can be startling, it's not typically scary or terrifying or anything that's going to make maybe a housekeeper go running out of the hotel screaming. Right. Um, no one's ever
1: been, no one's ever been hurt physically hurt or scratched or shoved that you know of.
3: People have been hurt, have been scratched, have been shoved. Oh. Um, and in fact, there is a, a famous, very famous person who um, ran from room 217, refused to stay there, and had to be moved into a different part of the hotel and that was Jim Carrey when they were filming Dumb and Dumber yeah, at the I, hotel
1: <laughs> I was just about I, that was my next question because I, I did see okay. piece, I did see a piece where that when they were filming uh, that he fled <laughs> room 217 in the middle of the night so yes
3: I tried to get him to answer why he never would he wouldn't talk about it so
1: oh no oh it must have been a good one then
3: yeah. I guess.
0: <laughs> it Was Dumb and Dumber filmed there as well? Or?
3: Yeah, some scenes of Dumb and Dumber. Mm-hmm. Um, so when he's sitting at the bar waiting for the girl to arrive, and right. then he hits the picture we landed on the moon, that's the bar area of the Stanley Hotel. <laughs> that's um, and then when he's chasing her up the staircase, you know, race you to the top, and he grabs her and trips her, mm-hmm. that's the, the grand staircase of the Stanley Hotel. And then all of the exterior scenes of the – so-called Aspen Hotel, where they're handing out money. All of those exterior scenes are all the Stanley Hotel.
0: Oh, wonderful!
1: <laughs> and I, I, I just rewatched that like two weeks ago. I hadn't seen it in a long, long time. I, I'm a big fan too.
0: Yes. <laughs> right. So, what what was your uh, your main job there at the hotel at the time?
3: Um, well, I got hired on to be a tour guide, which mm-hmm. is hilarious, because when I got hired, I thought it would just be fun. I was, you know, living in Estes Park, and I was into the paranormal. And I thought, why don't I go give some tours. But what I had neglected to remember was that I was terrified of public speaking. (laughs) But they hired me, Um, I, I muddled my way through it until I actually got good at it. And then I sort of created my own niche at the hotel, because what I noticed I had been hired uh, soon after all of the ghost hunters craze and they were doing like four ghosts, ghosts and history tours a day and they were filling up and that was it. And so I thought, why not do more tours? Why not do some actual ghost hunts at the hotel? So I created my own niche and my official title was the resident um, paranormal investigator of the Stanley hotel.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: so the owners uh, embraced it really then uh as far as the paranormal side they didn't run from it
3: they yeah they absolutely embraced it um partly because they knew that it brought in a lot of money
1: (laughs) (laughs) you spent a lot of years running the paranormal investigations and the tours at the hotel did you ever have anything attach itself to you or follow you home
3: yes i did um Oh, in fact, that is somewhat related to um, what I told you about how there was a, a death in the hotel in uh, January of 2010. Um, there were some there was an incident afterwards that um, for five years, I actually dealt with having something. I don't want to say attached to me, but um, continuing me, to follow me from place to place. Um It took me about five years to actually move that on out of my life.
1: Did you, did you have to get someone to help you like a a psychic medium, or did you ever try and find out who, who or what this, this attachment was?
3: Well, I, I know exactly what it was. Um, when the, the suicide took place at the hotel, um, the assistant general, it was January and we, you know, back then in January, they, um, The Stanley at at that time had very few guests in the hotel. And um, so I think there were maybe six people staying at the hotel when it happened. And I had not been to the hotel for for a few days. I would only go when it was busy or when somebody wanted a ghost hunt or if there was a VIP there for a tour, that type of stuff. So I hadn't been and was not aware of what had happened. So the assistant general manager called me and she said, I just want to let you know that we have had a suicide in the hotel um, so that you're not surprised, you know, when you when you come back to the to the hotel this week. Well, the first thing that crossed my mind is if this becomes public knowledge, people are going to want to investigate that room. Well, to me, there is a. I know that we go out and we investigate places where people died, and that's what we do as as paranormal investigators. But I just didn't feel right about the fact that someone would maybe come into this room right after everything happened and try to investigate a tragedy. And so I asked um, the assistant general manager if I could go in the room and see what I can do. I could, what I could do. So I actually went in the room with um, the resident psychic at the Stanley, only the Stanley hotel has a resident psychic and a resident paranormal investigator, right? We both went into the room. And as I walked into the room, I instantly got sick. Um, I, I went into the bathroom. I didn't, you know, get sick, but uh, I was not feeling well. I, I was clammy. I was not doing well. And um, I walked out of the bathroom and I, the room was in disarray, of course, because the police had been there, had done all of their investigation. Um, meanwhile, the, the resident psychic is, you know, holding her hands, yelling, you know, who suffocated in here, who suffocated in here? And um, it turned out that the man who had killed himself had placed a, a garbage bag over his head and tied it and then suffocated himself. But as I was sitting on the, on, on the chair, trying to get my wits about me after all of this was happening, she went over and opened a window like she was trying to air some things out. And something whooshed past me. I don't know how else to explain it. It, it whooshed past me and out the window. Um, and that's when everything began for me. Um, OK, did you guys hear that?
1: I've been hearing yep. things the whole time okay so interesting sorry to cut you off um like i said we're not we're not only a paranormal podcast we're also experiencers we we do paranormal investigations rachel is a medium i have some abilities danny he's still figuring stuff out and uh, a couple podcasts ago uh poor rachel got attacked by something that was connected to our guest at the time And today it seems like it was my turn, Uh, like earlier when I... I just couldn't get my mouth to work, and I, and I couldn't focus. And something was all up my like my shoulders. Or, I feel like someone's sitting on me, and I've been hearing things, and I've been messaging them, saying like, "You got to help me out here." And and uh, I think there's there's something coming from you, Kelly. <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> to say, and and that's and that's why I asked if you still had something attached to you, or something, because that's where I was was going with that. But uh, I, I, I hope I hope that you're free and clear. But, I am
3: but, pretty clear but but, I, I um, will let you know that um, I do live at a house with probably five or six hundred Ouija boards so maybe you're getting something from that
1: <laughs> <laughs> are, are, are these your Ouija
3: boards um, no just if you are mine I don't know if you're familiar with um, Bob merch Robert Merch he's the foremost Ouija board collector um, in the world okay he owns probably 2,000 boards, and wow. he has a little, I live at his house, and um, in the basement he has a little uh, Ouija board museum where people can come see some of his rarer boards. Wow, so,
1: you must have sage burning in that place 24-7. <laughs>
3: or you you should
1: if you don't you should
3: maybe I should Um, not too long ago I I have a couple of Ouija boards that are sitting over on a shelf next near my bed and they went flying off the shelf and down the stairs I'm 99% sure that it was my cat (laughs) (laughs) but it did give me a
2: start
1: (laughs) well there there is that one percent you never know
0: exactly so
1: yeah like I've just been feeling so bizarre and i've never felt this before and danny you said like you messaged me here you said you're feeling weird as well
0: Well, right off the start, I I had to walk around a little bit and find some more water and uh, just felt a little lightheaded. I just I thought, okay, well, I was outside for a bit, but I don't know. And uh, it sort of tailed off. And then all of a sudden, Dan, you started, you know, saying something's affecting me here. I I couldn't get my uh, brain.
1: I couldn't get my brain to connect with my mouth and get everything to work properly. Callie, since you've left uh, the Stanley Hotel... Have you kept up with uh, the paranormal investigating?
3: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm fascinated with that. And so, in addition to the Stanley, I have traveled all across the country. Um, I get invited to speak at some of the conventions. um, And I also go to, uh, you know, some of the, you know, where they have the different people and then you get to do an investigation, that type of stuff. Right. Um, And then I also just meet, I've met friends all across the country. And so I'll fly somewhere and say, go investigate, um, you know, Mansfield, Mansfield prison or um, St. Augustine Lighthouse or the Villisca Axe Murder House. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I continue to investigate. Um, and I kinda of, like, like you talking about being experiencers. I prefer to say that I experience it. I'm not really a nuts and bolts recording a whole bunch of readings type of an investigator. I'm there to experience things.
1: Are there any are there any investigations that you've done outside the Stanley that you know really stick out? One that was like, man, I'll never forget.
3: Probably um I would have to say the the Velisca Axe Murder House. Um I went three times. The third time I had nothing happen, but the first two times, um both times we had crazy activity. Um and that's,
1: a, that's in New York, isn't it? New York state.
3: Um, the Velisca axe murder house is in Iowa. Okay. Oh, okay. And it's um, it's where there were eight people killed in 1912. Um, six of them were children, two of them um, visiting children. So um, there were two parents, four kids from one family and then two kids from a visiting family who were all killed with an axe. It was never solved. They don't know who did it
1: sometimes we talk about how if you indulge in the paranormal or you put yourself out there that you, you start to open up. Uh, it's happened for Danny. Uh, he, he was thought that he was closed off to everything, but after we're doing the podcast and doing some investigations, he was starting to see shadow people and starting to see things out of the corner of the eye. Have you found that over the years that you have opened up a lot more to spirit and you know, have you, have you developed any psychic abilities or any type of clairvoyancy?
3: Like I was saying about the, the house where I lived, where I saw the first full-bodied apparition, back then I used to have dreams that would come true, but they scared me. I didn't like the fact that they came true because I felt this immense pressure of what happens if, if this dream comes true and it's about one of my family members. And so one day I just shut it off. And everyone tells me I shouldn't have been able to do that, but I did. One day I had the dreams and the next day I didn't. I, sh- I shut myself down. But when I got interested again in the paranormal and started actively investigating it, I asked for that stuff to come back. And, you know, you know, be careful what you wish for <laughs> um, because it came back and, and then some. And so for me, I feel energy more than anything. Um, Sometimes I'll just know stuff. Sometimes I'll hear things, you know, I'll I'll have different experiences, all the different Claire's that, that everybody talks about. But for me, it's really about feeling energy and I feel it strongly and it's what I do best.
1: And what's next for you? What's next in the, in Callie's paranormal life?
3: (laughs) I Uh, never uh, know what's next.
1: No, a book, a a movie deal, your own TV show. Um,
3: I am writing a book, but the book that I'm writing is about my 500 mile walk across Spain rather than about the paranormal. But everybody says that I, my next book needs to be ghost stories of the Stanley. Um,
1: I've been to Spain, you know, they got cars there, right?
3: You know, I've heard that.
1: (laughs) You didn't have to to walk. You, you could have, you could have (laughs) stuck your thumb up. (laughs) Well, that sounds interesting. And, uh, did you connect with any Spanish ghosts while you were there?
3: I did. Um, I felt a ton of energy when I was in Spain, and had a few kind of strange experiences. Not as many as you would expect, considering you know I was staying in buildings that were you know from the 13th, 14th, 15th century. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't really have, but I I don't know that I was open to it because I was there for a different purpose. It was more of a kind of a spiritual journey for me, not religious, but spiritual. Um, It wasn't so much for connecting with ghosts or any of that stuff. I'm
1: I'm sure a lot of those spirits saw your antenna, you know, your beacon as you were walking by and, you know, tried to get your attention, but you weren't having any of it.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that definitely happens. Um, And I just get used to, um, I call it feeling the tingles. I just get used to feeling the tingles and going, oh, that's kind of cool. And then just kind of move on past it because it's not necessary to always give them your attention.
1: No. So I've been feeling the tingles the past hour and I'm, I'm <laughs> not liking it one
0: bit. I saw Rachel writing some stuff down.
2: Where are um, you? I did get um, just a tiny little bit uh, of information here that I'll pass on to Callie. The, the one thing I got, it's okay for you to to reach out and ask for help and help from somebody, maybe a little bit above you or where you are um, intelligently or even a mentor for you, but it's like, that's okay. You, it's like, you need that permission. Some, some, for some reason. Um, and to get organized, meaning, Organized thoughts and removing those people that don't serve your higher good. Those are the ones that you need to put in the trash can. Um, and it's funny when you're you're content saying about uh, being intuitive, I did write that uh, you need to follow your own instinct. You know where you need to go and what direction to head in, but sometimes you kind of fight with yourself a bit. Trust your own word. And um, yeah, trust your word, trust your guidance. Be the real you. That's what I got for you. Thank you. That's powerful
3: and right on the mark. So I appreciate that. <laughs> You're welcome.
1: <laughs> Rachel's pretty pretty good. Yeah. She's she's usually bang on. So quiet. <laughs> but quiet, but intuitive.
0: And we keep her till the, end. The, <laughs> yeah.
3: the quiet ones are always the most intuitive.
1: <laughs> yes, that's right.
2: Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs>
0: Danny, any more questions? I uh, I just wondered, uh, going back to the Stanley Hotel, uh, Halloween, did they did they do it up? Did they uh, you know did they hire two little uh, small girls to stand at the end of the hallway, twins? Oh, I never th- <laughs> I never thought of that. That's a great <laughs> idea.
3: They yeah. did. They they had what they called the shining ball which now has turned into two full weekends because it's so popular. Um, They don't have two little girls, although people will often come dressed as those girls, (laughs) but they do have a Jack Nicholson lookalike who walks around the hotel and will literally stop whole tours in their tracks thinking it's the real Jack Nicholson, but he's much younger and he's, you know, from the days of when Jack Nicholson would have been in The Shining, so.
1: Does he does he carry yeah. does he carry an axe around with him too?
3: No, no. The manager put a kibosh on that. They said no, thank you. <laughs> oh,
1: that's that's too bad. We get him a fake axe, a rubber one, I guess.
3: <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for being on our podcast.
3: Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it.
2: Phantom Faction Podcast, a podcast to educate, entertain,
1: assist, and guide anyone involved or interested in the paranormal. To reach out to Phantom Faction, see our Facebook page or email us directly at
0: phantomfaction@outlook.com. At